The following content has been rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squawk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. My clicky maca is the thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. So, so let's see, what, what, what was that word? Clicky clacky? Millie clicky maca. Clicky clacky. Come on, it's a classic. It's Bing Crosby, man. Yes. Listen, you know I struggle with English. It's Hawaiian. Exactly. You, I struggle with English. You think I can, I can speak Hawaiian? Need I remind you about the chairs? Abracadabra, there is a chair. <laughs> I need to find new friends. You know you don't mean that. But before we get into the stories, uh, we did want to say that some new things are happening on the website. We have started an email list and if you are interested in getting a monthly recap of episodes, posts, anything Squonk and Hag related, uh, you can go to our website and sign up. It's in the footer. I think I accidentally set up a pop up. Phrases you only hear around here. I accidentally set up a pop up. <laughs> What's really sad is that's what I do for a living. <laughs> I work for an email service provider designing and implementing uh, emails, pop-ups, preference centers, on-site, and email experiences. Oh, oh no, I tripped and I designed a whole website. I mean, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> I know, like, when we first started the podcast, we were like, yeah, like, we should do all this stuff. And then I'm like, I made a website. <laughs> I made a website. We now have Twitter and Instagram. Hey, look, there's an email list. <laughs> Oopsie. What do, what do I do with all with all of these websites? I know it's weird, but for me, that stuff is fun. But yeah, if you would like to get an update on new episodes, posts, everything that's happening on the website, you can sign up for the list and then that will be going out probably at the end of the month as like a recap. Up to date with all of the shenanigans that's going on over here. So I've told you about and I, I posted it on my personal Instagram of my research notes. Oh, yes, I saw. It has now turned into being called my murder book. So <laughs> that's the kind of shenanigans you can look forward to. My my murder book. It sounds like you're, you're writing a book, a true crime book. Oh, see, my father was like, you shouldn't tell people you have a murder book because you're going to get arrested. Yeah. Yeah. When you put it like that, people that don't know if they just hear, I have a murder book. It, it doesn't sound very good. Kraken, you want to be in my murder book? No, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Actually, I had a coworker today because, uh, like, we have this group chat and we're a bunch of we're a bunch of idiots in it. He was telling a dad joke and he's like, "Am I now in your murder book on a victim card?" Bruh, no, no, you can't. You can't do this. Yes. Anyway, so 
into today's story. Are you ready, Kraken? Are you in the festive mood? Because this took place on Christmas Day and it is centered around a Christmas present. I don't I don't know if this is going to be the good kind of Christmas present, but I have a feeling this is not going to have a happy ending. It's not going to be what's in the box in seven. Excuse me? Wait, you've never seen that, have you? Oh, the movie. I, I was just like, it, the box in seven. What what are we talking about? What? I completely forgot there's a movie called Seven. No, I have not seen that yet. It is on my list, but I have not watched it yet. He he opens the box and there's something inside for him. Oh my God, is that where the memes, like the what's in the box memes, is that is that what that's from? I had mm-hmm. no idea. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what's in the box because you need to see that movie. Yes, it is on my list. I, I I will watch this. Move it to the top of your list. Trust me. Good. I mean, it's a Netflix list. So I don't think there's really a top or a bottom. I can't really control that, but fair enough. Okay, fair. It has mentally been moved to the top of the list. So... Love you, Kraken. I would never tell you something horrible. Love you too, Mo, but I think that that's a lie. You're right. So the holidays, no matter what you celebrate, it's a time of joy. It's a time of spending, you know, your hours with loved ones, uh, often a time of gift giving. Uh, you know, most most people love taking the happiness of this time of year and spreading smiles with pretty presents wrapped in shiny bows. And one of the main things to kind of remember at this time of year is that family isn't defined by blood. So we take our time to spend it with those who mean the most to us. Some people, that is their family. You know, my holidays are surrounded with uh, my parents, my brother and my sister, my nieces, Chris's parents, his sister, our nephews, like that that is the family we choose to spend our time with. But other people, whether they had a falling out or perhaps they've lost their family, they choose it with someone else. Correct. Sometimes the season shines a darker light, though. Today, we are going to go to Scotland and hopefully I don't offend Louis with any pronunciations, although luckily most of this stuff is very not Scottishy sounding. For it to be in Scotland, these things are very not Scottishy. Fair enough. Well, no, like it takes place in Edinburgh, but most of the stuff is uh, not, you know, like one of the people's last name is Williamson. I think I can pronounce that one. Watch it be like something completely the opposite of Williamson. Well, if it was in like the Germanic area, W's are pronounced like a V, so I would be saying it wrong. But this was in Scotland, so I'm assuming that's how you would say it. Possibly. So Edinburgh is the capital city of Scotland, and it is home to over half a million people just in the city. And then if you count the outer line districts, it's over a million. It's known for beautiful architecture, thriving art scene, and a very enchanting atmosphere. It, it's kind of old fairy tale meets current times. It's it's a it's the times of when when they have um, go fundeth me. Yes, because you very much would be in a medieval castle, but they would accept PayPal. <laughs> and I if, I don't know if you ever heard of like the, some of the festivals and everything like that. There's big music festival. There's art festivals, comedy festivals. It startleth me. I'm leaving. I'm done. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> but. 
in this beautiful place at this very warm, happy time of year, it's hard to imagine a horrific holiday like we're going to talk about. Wonderful. I'm sorry. So excited. Happy holidays, Kraken. This is my gift to you. Great. You didn't by chance keep the receipt? Oh, no, I made this for you. I did all this research by myself. Wonderful. I I, I put it all together. I wrote it up. I mean, this is... Straight out of the murder book? It, it is straight out of the murder book. And it's actually page one of the research notes section of the murder book. And this is my version of knitting you a sweater. It's going to wrap itself around you and keep you cozy. Why did I think you were about to say it's going to wrap itself around you and strangle you or something like that? Because given the nature of the stories that we read here. We're going to go back to 1977. Richard McCabe was born in Perth, Scotland. As he grew up, it was very apparent that he was born with the wrong gender. Through the 80s and 90s, started wearing female clothing, which led to a lot of verbal and physical bullying. There are still struggles within the LBGTQIA plus community, but back in the 80s and 90s, it was worse. It was a lot worse. It was a lot worse. It was more, people were more open about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now there's a lot of judgment and there's a lot of uh, poor treatment, but there were actually stories of Richard walking down the street and being just blitz attacked by a gang of other students and then beaten pretty much to a pulp. Yeah, that's usually that's usually not a good thing. It's, it's, it's a no. No. No, no. And nobody deserves that treatment. No matter. No, no. I know. I do understand that not everybody understands these lifestyles, but just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it's wrong. And it doesn't mean that that person should be persecuted for it. Like, I don't know what it feels like to be born a gender that I don't identify with. But that doesn't mean it's wrong and it doesn't mean it's not real. And it doesn't mean that those people should be hurt physically, emotionally, psychologically, verbally. So it's something that does really bother me a lot. Yeah, understandably so. All of this abuse led to a personality filled with defensiveness, paranoia, uh, a sort of volatile response, which is understandable from a psychological standpoint. In 2002, she tr surgically transitioned and legally became Melissa Young. And I will say it was very weird researching this story because my real name is Melissa. And I was like, oh, I kept seeing Melissa did this and Melissa did that. And I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> I did not. Well, here is a very, very, very key difference between the two of us. Melissa Young stood six foot three inches tall. Yeah, no, you, you're quite the opposite. Yeah, I'm a foot shorter. Womp womp. Mo says as she's currently recording this, feet dangling off the chair like a child. Hey, no, I have my feet on my footrest, which is about six inches off the floor. Basically got like a little booster seat. Her husky voice was considered both endearing and intriguing. It was very unexpected when she opened her mouth, but it was something that people, when they met her, were kind of drawn to, etc. But the past of disrespect and pain just 
continued to affect her. She did not have any long-term relationships. Everything was one-night stands as ter- in terms of romantic endeavor. She had trust issues. She had uh, just a lot of, and we will go into some of the psychology and the psychological diagnoses later, but she just did not ever have a long-term relationship. Knowing some of the things that she went through, and you know that wasn't everything... Yeah, I could see you having trouble trusting people. I'm assuming we'll get into some of these things that she went through. Well, I mean, just the 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 physical and verbal abuse. You know, the the gangs beating her up. Oh, and, I, I was I was thinking there was there was something worse than that. But yeah, that I mean that'll do it too. Yeah, but, you know. I mean, you have to think. Not only did that stuff happen, but that stuff happened as a young adult, as a teenager. Yeah, and you know, those are the years that you are really forming who you are. And what you want to be. So speaking of that, that time, uh, you know, chi- uh, not childhood, uh, like teen years, high school, the young adult years, she started heavily drinking as a teenager uh, to the point of becoming an alcoholic very early in her life. And her habits also escalated to recreational drug use. Now, some of it was, because you could call it harmless. You know, she she used marijuana. Oh, the end of the world. Forbidden lettuce. But like, you know, like at the beginning, drank a lot, smoked weed. Not the end of the world. But later, it just, this was the start of a... A downward spiral. In 2003, Melissa was introduced to the owner of Shares Private Club Sauna in Edinburgh. He has asked to rename anonymous in all of the articles and interviews and things like that. But he was a drag queen who the persona was Cher, which is the main character of the the club's acts. They hit it off almost immediately, and he offered her a job. He thought she was fun and intriguing and endearing. But over the next nine months, while she worked at the establishment, it is said that the time was filled with a lot of conflict. She fought with her co-workers. She would either blame them for perceived slights she would just outright fight with them, uh, sometimes getting physical, and she also stole from them. <laughs> probably not a good thing to to do. Probably not. It's probably also not a good thing to just, you know, start fighting with people. Just, you know, going, going to work and just start throwing hands. Well, she was prone to violent outbursts and drank heavily even while working. As I said, she was an alcoholic. She was a functional alcoholic to the point that she was pretty much just always drunk, but still worked. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always drunk. So there was an incident where her boss, Cher, found a hidden bottle of vodka in the 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 top of the, you know, the top of the toilet, that square part that fills with water. Yeah, um, the, the so tank. Yeah, so she had hidden a bottle of vodka in there that she would just go in, take a couple swigs here and there. And when he found it, he told the, because I guess there was a group of employees there, he said he was going to pour it down the drain and said that, you know, that's not something that you you shouldn't be keeping booze on the job. 
especially not hiding it in the back of the toilet. When this happened, she threatened to kill him if he did. <laughs> how how expensive was this bottle of vodka? I don't think it's that serious. It wasn't. And he had said on multiple occasions she had made just like remarks kind of like that. Just kind of throw away little things like, oh my god, I'll kill you or I could kill him. Or, you know, those types of things. And for a lot of people society has kind of normalized saying like oh my god i could kill you for that or oh my god i just died yeah but no no one ever means it it's just a figure of speech yeah so it was hard to tell if it was a figure of speech or a legitimate thing but you know he worked at a a private gentleman's club or he owned a private gentleman's club and was used to having to sort of stand his ground and deal with belligerent drunks, deal with angry patrons, you know, things like that. So he just kind of shrugged it off. And, you know, I think he still got rid of the bottle. I don't remember. I didn't see what happened to the bottle of vodka, but I can promise you (laughs) if he threw it out. Probably just got rid of it. Well, I'm sure it was replaced then, too. Like probably the next day she brought it and hid it somewhere else. I'm sure. So uh, there was another incident where he had gotten plastic surgery. He got a facelift and she was so jealous that he had gotten this plastic surgery and demanded that he pay for her to get breast implants. Fair enough. He refused. As one does. Yeah. Even said that she should start saving her money instead of drinking it. I mean, he's not wrong. I know Chris and I talk about this a lot in how expensive alcohol and cigarettes and you know those types of vices are. And like we know someone who will smoke a couple cartons of cigarettes a week at someone Chris used to work with. But always complain that they had no money and I don't smoke so I don't know how I wonder where it's going yeah I don't know exactly how expensive they are like I can pass by gas stations and they have signs and it's like 10 bucks a pack and then like a carton is what 12 packs or something like that so we're talking something like that I'm I don't smoke either, so I have I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, but that's like well over a hundred dollars a carton. So you think you're throwing a couple hundred dollars a week into that? Like, yeah, you're not gonna have any money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then alcohol's not cheap either. Even if you're getting like bottom shelf stuff, it's not like it's cheap. Er, but it's still money that you're spending. So. Yeah, it's still money being spent on non-essential things. Exactly, exactly. So this put the two on rocky terms, but she kept working there. They, you know, stayed on amicable terms, I guess you could say. Like, they were civil, as civil as I guess she could get. And he also recalled another time that they were hanging out at her apartment and they were sitting at the the kitchen table and she was playing with a carving knife and said I could kill them all that's a little concerning yeah he didn't know what she was talking about again just kind of brushed off the comment but he said in retrospect he really wonders what she meant like who is them all why would she kill them uh you know any of this kind of stuff it was just kind of like some weird behaviors adding up and Eventually, she did lose her job at the sauna, 
and I will say she deserved it. So the things I've heard just maybe a little deserved it. Maybe the owner discovered that she was stealing the clientele of the sauna to take them back to her place for private sex work on the side. Fair enough. Now she was directly stealing pretty much money from his pockets. So these clients, instead of coming to the sauna, would just go with her, pay her, and he was losing business. So he fired her. And after she was terminated, she continued the private sex work. She also started shoplifting to fund her growing drug habits. Not long after she was fired from the sauna, though, she did get caught shoplifting and served 18 months in prison. What, what, did, what did she steal? They said she had thousands and thousands of dollars worth of goods just piled in her home, not counting the stuff that she sold. We're talking designer clothes, high-end items, jewelry, watches, shoes. Fair enough. Unfortunately, she did not learn any lessons from this. And as soon as she was out of jail, she started shoplifting again, and she started her sex work back up. One of the things that has come up in conversations and theories and whatnot about this is that it wasn't like, yes, part of it was to fund her drug habits, to fund her lifestyle, but it also sounds like a compulsion because she did she kept a lot of this. I'm talking thousands of dollars of merchandise that she just kept and didn't use. She just kept it. Yeah, that's just stealing just to steal. Which sounds much more like a compulsion, much more like something that she either couldn't help or something that it was basically uh, an empty fulfillment where it's like stealing makes me feel good but then as soon as you're done you're empty again you're, you're still feeling like crap so we like I said we will get into some of the psychological stuff because there are some aspects of her that could explain the stealing could explain the shoplifting um, but yeah it's still still not a good idea uh, no, it's not. So in addition to this lifestyle she lived, she had an odd fascination with the Catholic Church. Okay. She went to service every week. You know, good Christian, very religious. That's that's normal. <laughs> she also would write letters to the Pope and one particular cardinal in Edinburgh. One specific cardinal. One cardinal and the Pope would get many letters from her. I'm not sure what the contents were. I just know that she would write them letters. Fair enough. I also don't know if they ever replied. <laughs> so I don't know if it was like fan mail where they just got it and like were like, thanks. I mean, if they sent enough letters, they may have finally gotten noticed and got a, re got a reply. But it was probably one of those auto-generated replies from like their <laughs> where it's their, like a uh, stamp with their signature at the bottom yeah it's just their receptionist with like just their their sigil on stamp just like I'm just gonna pre-type this I don't know 
why I just, I don't know why I just managed. You know those those stamps that like those self inking stamps where you like click them and they're like. Ch-ch-ch. Oh yeah. Um, and it just says "Love the Pope." <laughs> yeah, they probably have one of those. Pope. I wonder. I wonder what it what it pays to to go work in the Pope's fan mail department and just you know, type up just a little thank you note and just like grab the little clicky stamp and just. Love, comma, the Pope. Love the Pope. And then when they want something extra, just, you know, put on some lipstick and, you know, (laughs) kiss the the bottom of the envelope. Oh, Lord. You know we're going to hell for this conversation, right? What's the Pope's color? Um, The Pope always wears white and gold. Gold lipstick. Fair enough. Oh, what color? Lipstick. I thought you were <laughs> no. We're going with gold lipstick. No, this is fine. No, I, I would imagine like a really nice, like bright, warm tone red. Cardinal red, got it. Yeah, cardinal red. Because you don't want to. Apparently, it is a fashion faux pas to match your lipstick to your outfit. Of course. So the cardinals can't wear that nice, rich red. They would have to wear like a darker red or another color entirely. But. Actually, I could see a cardinal since you have this bright red head to toe outfit, uh, like just like a neutral lid lip, you know, or would they be goth and have black lipstick? I feel like that's too much. Like, I feel like a cardinal would be much more classic and sophisticated. Understandable. Where did this conversation go? (laughs) This conversation went straight to hell. That's what happened. It did. Moving on. Yeah, so she would write letters to the Pope and this one particular cardinal. The congregation she attended was very accepting of her. They they knew she was transgender, but they also understood she was a very devout follower that she, you know, wanted to be there. She wanted to have that connection with God until they discovered that on her way to and from church, she was soliciting bus drivers. And I I don't mean she was asking them to join her MLM. She would slip these bus drivers notes advertising uh, $50 for sex. Or not 50, uh, 50 pounds for sex. Fair enough. When they found out about this, they're like, you need to leave the congregation. You know, they they just could not accept that type of sin. We appreciate your letters to the Cardinal and the Pope, but you got to go. Yeah, like you you can't be soliciting bus drivers for sex work on your way to church. You, you, you can't be putting your business card in the offering. Plate. <laughs> That's not how this works. We have gotten several letters and several cards. You can keep doing this. I don't know why I'm imagining the business card has, you know, the 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 silver ladies on like the truck drivers mud flaps. My God. (laughs) But it just has those on a business card with her name. It's just a velvet red business card with like some gold glitter on it. So I'm not sure if she joined another church after that. Probably. Yeah, but it didn't it didn't say anything about, um, you know, finding a new congregation or anything like that. But I do know that she was not very happy with being asked to leave. As I'm sure the church probably wasn't very happy with the information that they had discovered. But, you know, after uh, everything that had happened, she 
moves into flat number six at three Glenner Lone in Edinburgh, which is a it's a, an area of the city. And she quickly became friends with one of the neighbors named Alan Williamson. The 47-year-old man had his own troubles with the law. He had previously been arrested and convicted for the attempted rape of a woman in Uphall, West Lothian. He served six years in prison before his release, but after that, he appeared to be on the straight and narrow. Now, they became quick friends. In early 2013, Melissa suspected that Alan had stolen her house keys, and she confronted him about it. Now, when you think of confronting a friend or a neighbor or something, you might think maybe you raise your voice, have a slightly confrontational... I mean, about stealing stealing your house keys, I would imagine just be like, did you take my house keys because, you know, like they were here and then you came over and now they're not here? Yeah, that's what a normal person would do. She, they, they, they didn't they didn't do that, did they? No, she confronted him and then cornered him at knife point. Understandable. He jumped from the balcony and then landed in the back garden one story below. So they were up on the... It was the second floor still, but just yeah, standard house height. Yeah, so he, he he literally jumped out of the window to get away from her. He was uh, pretty much unharmed, so you know no major injuries from that. Because if you would jump out of a one-story window, it's quite possible you could get seriously hurt, depending on how you land. I didn't really see if they had mended their friendship, if they were on good terms, but they did have another encounter on Christmas of the same year, 2013. Between when this happened in the early months of the year to Christmas time, she had really ramped up her alcohol and drug usage. So as I said, she started out with marijuana she involved to inhaling solvents right and even went to harder drugs like heroin she remained in contact with Cher the owner of the sauna and he said that the last time they had talked was November of 2013 and at that time she was still drinking heavily all day every day uh, smoking marijuana every single day and inhaling solvents every single day. Gotta do wonders for the brain cells. Yeah, the alcohol is bad enough and then she's just layering on more and more and more drugs. Additionally, uh, I do know that she took prescription drugs, but I'm not sure. I did not see anywhere if they were actually prescribed to her or if she bought them like on the street. She, like I said, she had a very interesting mix of chemicals in her system. And that was on a daily basis. And then, like I said, she did start using heroin, but that was not a daily habit. That was just something that she did sometimes, I guess, for fun. I've never done heroin. I've actually never done any drugs whatsoever. From what I have heard, 
uh, through research and stories and things like that, heroin is not a fun drug. Heroin pretty much just takes you to like comatose levels and people take it to forget, which does make sense knowing that she had such a troubled past, but like, it's not like she was out at a party and dropped some E because she was, you know, having a good time. Like she was, she was trying to forget. She was doing horrible things to her body. But yeah, I really don't know anything about drugs. I'm sorry. Same. Yeah, I mean, like, why, why, why are you apologizing? I guess I shouldn't apologize for that. That's a good thing. Christmas Day, 2013. Alan visited Melissa. There, I could not find public accounts as to why he was there. Did she invite him over? Did he visit of his own accord? Was it a pleasant visit, you know, just friends getting together for the holiday? Or was it something, you know, confrontational, something like that? Uh, but she did have Christmas presents for him. So I'm assuming it was on better terms, unless she thought they were on good terms and he did not, because I wouldn't be surprised that he wouldn't be on good terms with someone who held him at knife point and made him jump out a window. Yeah, I wouldn't blame him. Yeah. Yeah. But she did have Christmas present for him. She had gotten him a pair of unisex running sneakers, or since this was in the UK, everything called them trainers. I Sometimes I think some of the stuff that they... Fancy. It's so cute, like trainers and jumpers and all that stuff. But anyway, so she got him a pair of unisex running shoes and the 2014 calendar from the Sun newspaper. So this calendar is very similar to something like the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, where it has beautiful models in skimpy bathing suits. Uh, you know, a lot of it's on the beach and beautiful locations, but it's, you know, it's that kind of a vibe. It's just that it was a yearly calendar. Fair enough. For unknown reasons, Alan refused the gifts. Unknown reasons? Unknown reasons. Nobody knows why he refused the gifts, but he, he he just said, no, I can't accept these. Fair enough. Which makes me wonder if he was not on good terms with her, even though she thought they were on good terms. You know, like that kind of disconnect there. Well, I mean, this, this person pulled a knife on you and made you jump off of the, the second story of a house. Yeah, exactly. Kind of understandable. Exactly. You might not want to accept a gift from them. So the first 999 call Melissa placed, she claimed that Alan refused to leave her apartment. But when they listened to the tape later, you can hear him in the background yelling, let me out. Yeah, I've got him locked in my bathroom. I don't know why he won't leave. I mean, it's, it's a mystery. So after this call... She proceeded to grab a six-inch kitchen knife and started attacking him. Her second call to 999 was her reporting that she had stabbed someone seven times. She also said that she was psychiatric. Can you take me to the Royal Edinburgh Hospital, please? She later, when police arrived, asked them to take her to Carstairs Hospital. Both of these hospitals are psychiatric institutions. After the second 999 call, obviously police were dispatched. 
and they didn't really know what was waiting for them. They found Melissa with her hands covered in blood, and she told them, and I quote, the power it gave me was amazing. That's not creepy at all. Gets worse. Oh, great. She also said that the Archangel St. Michael came down to Earth and possessed her body as an instrument of God to punish the unclean demon. Yeah, it got worse. And then after that, she said that if he had accepted her gifts, she never would have stabbed him. Note to self, accept everyone's gifts or else you will be branded an unclean demon. Fair enough. Well, I just think it's interesting that she's like, yes, I was possessed by an archangel. I was doing the God's work to take care of this demon, to, to rid the earth of evil. But then she's like, I mean, if he had accepted my presence, he would have been fine. Like, there's there's some kind of disconnect there. They obviously, they arrested her, went through all the processing and things like that. I do know that there were articles about, it was a fairly, a fairly quiet neighborhood. You know, families, old people, uh, some apartments and stuff like that. But it wasn't like uh, a downtown, loud city sky rise, uh, you know, people coming and going, robberies and crimes left and right. Like it was a, just a peaceful neighborhood on Christmas morning. So people were were shocked because they they would look out their window and instead of seeing maybe a little bit of snow falling, kids running around with their new presents, family members coming up the front walk, they saw forensics vans and ambulances and police cars and flashers. And they said it was very, very weird. It's the Christmas Brigade. It's fine. That's what all the lights are for. Just don't worry about it. Get back in the house. It's fine. I wonder if police are allowed to change their flashers to red and green on Christmas Day. I doubt it. I wonder why they always use blue. Because, like, it's always blue, yellow, and red. N like, no matter, like, across, you know, some some countries it's blue flashers only. Some it's red only. Sometimes it's yellow. Fire police in America are blue. Here it's it's a uh, red and blue. Yeah, and Amer yeah, American police is red and blue. American ambulances are red and white. Uh, like, I wonder, I wonder why. Good question. Time to go down a rabbit hole. Well, I do know the red. I do know why red is a signal of caution, stop, etc. Um, oh my god, it's my first instance of color theory on the podcast. Arr! So, um, that reaction was the best. <laughs> so, in nature, poisonous animals, um, insects, etc., are naturally red, orange, yellow, and black. You look at poisonous. You're saying the police are poisonous. Oh my God. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not. So, these creatures are that color palette. And that means, hey, don't eat me. You're going to die. We shouldn't eat the police. Oh, my God. Yes, don't eat the police. So when mankind was developing symbols and signals like stop signs, stop lights, um, caution tape, we are genetically already uh, predispose predisposed. <laughs> predisposed. Okay. Pre word. predisposed to thinking that red, yellow, orange, black, 
that combination is something that we need to to stop stop don't you know, back away something like that so when you have a stop sign it's red and white stop and pay attention yes stop and pay attention uh that is why your stoplights are red for stop yellow for caution or you know slow down and green for go because green is a very good thing in our lives it is plants it is trees it is nature it is the stuff that we eat it's money of course you would go there I had to throw that in there. <sighs> yes, it's money. Um, but yeah, so for us, green is good. Red and yellow make you stop. Now, there is a contradiction that most fast food restaurants are a combination of red and yellow. However, you will notice they do not include black in the mix because red and yellow actually stimulate the appetite it's when you add in that black or um, if you do just red and white, yellow and white, etc., um, that it has the caution. So Fair enough. I think this might be the weirdest tangent we've had. And we've talked about what color lipstick the Pope would wear. I have one to add on to that, too. Uh, you were talking about how, like, is human nature? We're already conditioned about the colors and everything. Mm hmm. This one will mess with your head a little bit. Um, you're familiar with the uncanny valley effect, right? Where it's like... Yes. Why are we as humans afraid of something that looks human but isn't? What what At, at what point did we learn that we need to be afraid of something that looks human but isn't? It's not that it's it's so close to human, but there is something that our body just doesn't accept it as human. And that's what makes us... Because it's yeah, but what but what did early humans see? Oh God, that wasn't human. That looked human. That made them afraid of that. You, you're probably right. <laughs> it was just the Lorax. They're like that thing came in here and crushed up all of the berries and got the liquid out of them and then left. <laughs> and now the house, the cave is a mess. And I don't know if and when it's coming back, but I'm afraid. <laughs> think of is when we were playing that GURPS campaign with Chris and like the beginning of the story was focused around the forbidden juice yes I am sad we didn't finish that because I never we never got to, to learn about the forbidden juice I'm pretty sure we just gr drove him so crazy he gave up probably <laughs> could you imagine DMing the two of us I mean he doesn't have to imagine he did it I know but we we don't know what is we like we did not experience that no i'm sure it's bad because you know we spent like a whole round that one time just you know shooting and healing each other because we were arguing <laughs> not like legit arguing but like our characters were arguing so we, we just like wasted turns and, and ammo and supplies fighting each other hey at least i know how to climb into a window and then he was just sitting there like <gasps> you could tell I like i because i was sitting in the same room with him like, you could just see his body language. He was like, will you just stop? <laughs> mm, he, he was done. I spent hours on this campaign. He did. I felt so bad. He, like, worked really hard on it, and then we just ruined everything. Then we had the whole stealth mission where in, in, I just ended up breaking a window and alerting everyone in the, in the house. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. As one does. Not as one does, as Krakow does. As one does. <laughs> it's still the same way whenever I play in D&D now. I totally didn't spend the last game on fire for most of it and at like one, one hit point away from death, but you know. Am I allowed to light you on fire? No, 
Okay. Anyway, back to the the topic, the story. It was actually a good time for a tangent because we were in between arrest and trial. Yes. At the trial, she claimed diminished capacity due to abnormality of mind. The details of the crime and her toxic junk. And her toxic junk, yes. <laughs> yes, her toxic junk. Uh, the details of the crime and her toxicology report led to a questioning of if she truly had diminished capacity and if she could or could not legally stand trial. From Allen's autopsy. His cause of death was stab wounds to several key areas of his body. In total, so I had said, you might not remember because the tangent. Which tangent? She called police and said she stabbed someone seven times. Alan was stabbed 29 times. I know you're not good at numbers, and I know those are both more than four. However, seven and 29 are not the same. Really, I had no idea. I thought they were, you know, very close. But this is good to know. Twelve of the wounds were to his arms, uh, most likely from defensive postures trying to block off the knife. Twelve were to his chest, focused mostly on the left side, and five were to his legs. There was pronounced injury to his left lung, heart, diaphragm, stomach, pancreas, and spleen, in addition to transection of the femoral artery. So I'm not sure how much you know about anatomy, but the femoral artery is one of the main vessels that provides blood to the lower extremities. Well, I know I know you don't want to sever any of them or, you know, cut any of them. But, you know, I'm, I'm aware that that one is one that you definitely want to leave alone. Yeah. So that is one of the main ones, along with like the carotid and stuff like that. So if you transect or cut one of those main blood vessels, you bleed out very, very quickly. Yes, there was a lot of other damage as well, but that that one kind of sealed the deal. Yeah, that, that, that'll do it. Yeah. Melissa's toxicology report was... I mean, the, the term used in the documentation was extensive. I, I, would, I would like to use the non-official sounding word of bonkers. They found 14 different prescription drugs, four recreational drugs, including marijuana and heroin, a blood alcohol level far above legal limits, and she had also inhaled solvents that day. She was just having a party, huh? I want to know how she was conscious. That's the that's the fun part. She wasn't. Well, the thing the thing that you have to, you know, a lot of times when you talk about a stabbing, like you don't necessarily think about what is involved physically in that. So we're talking 29 times of stabbing, removing the knife and repeating. That is that is a lot. First of all, that is what is considered a crime of passion, which usually re involves overkill. So when, say, it's a robbery gone wrong, you're usually not going to use a knife. And if you would, it would be like one once and done. You like stab and run. Because the knife is very personal. Exactly. You got to get like right there and you're... There's, there's more involved in that. That's why most of the time, if someone's going to rob someplace, they take a gun. 
you know, it's it's much less personal. There's a distance between there and just the sight of it is threatening. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so this is up close and personal 29 times. And she did that on all of these drugs. So you have to think she had a crazy mindset. And then additionally, like, I don't know how she did it. Like, I have one beer and I want to go to sleep. Apparently that combination makes you want to stab people. And this is why we don't do drugs, kids. Exactly. So there were six consultants, psychiatrists for the court. There was also a psychiatrist for the defense who didn't necessarily agree with all of these things. But like I said, it was a panel of six psychiatrists and the one for the defense is going to be trying to turn things in her favor. They agreed that, yes, she suffers from severe and multiple cluster B personality disorders, which we'll explain. They, uh, the defense's psychiatrist said, yes, she suffers from these personality disorders, so she should not be tried as a normal trial. It should be diminished capacity, etc. cetera. Uh, the other six said these personality disorders, uh, they... They explained her personality. They explained her actions, but they did not exclude her from the capacity to stand trial. So uh, a a cluster B personality disorder is commonly described as dramatic, excitable, very erratic and very volatile. And she was diagnosed with four of them. She was diagnosed with narcissistic personality, which is a very grandiose need for admiration and a lack of empathy. So it's always about me, 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 (laughs) and very little about anybody else. It is also very typically characterized by a hardship of maintaining work and personal relationships not just romantic but also friends so we looked at you know she she lost that job at the sauna and then just kind of freelanced as a sex worker and also didn't hold down any good solid relationships just dropping the business card everywhere yep them bus drivers So she was also diagnosed with a histrionic personality, which is a very exaggerated emotionality, has a lot of attention seeking behavior. Uh, Very typically, the person is flirtatious and seductive, very charming, very manipulative, very impulsive and, you know, kind of turns the situation in their favor. Antisocial personality, which is a dysfunctional thought process with a lack of remorse for socially exploitative, delinquent, and criminal behaviors. So it's often characterized by failure to conform to the law, inability to sustain constant employment, deception, manipulation, and the inability to form lasting relationships. So some of these do overlap because they are all within the same cluster of personality disorders. And then the last one is a borderline personality, which is the inability to control emotions, typically characterized by intense mood swings and reckless behavior. So if we look at all of these things, it really does paint a picture 
of her. She is reckless, manipulative, very uh, prone to disregarding the rules, doesn't follow the law, very attention-seeking, living this crazy lifestyle, the sex drugs, and I guess rock and roll? I don't... Rock and roll was never mentioned, but... There's probably some rock and roll in there somewhere. The inability to have a relationship, the very volatile outbursts, the abuse of drugs and alcohol. Now, I I am not saying this excuses anything she did. I'm just saying it explains it. These are the reasons for things happening the way they did. Yeah. Yeah. And then the psychiatrists did you say, you know, this explains a lot about what she was doing, the shoplifting, the drug use, the volatile behavior. And they stated that their general impression was that of someone who was manipulative and prone to using psychiatric symptoms as basically a get out of jail free card. It's not how that works. Yeah. Almost like, well, I can't get in trouble because, oh, it's mental. That's not how that works. It's not. No, it is not. But that is actually apparently... Yeah, you don't. I don't think you go to jail, jail, but you still get put away. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you know, mental health. We, you know, is very important to me, but it's not an excuse. It's just some. It's like if if you have some sort of disease or physical condition, you can't say, well, you know, I have this disorder, so I I. I can't go to jail for killing someone. I get a free pass. This diagnosis was obviously a factor. And then during sentencing, Judge Lord Boyd said, and I quote, Having murdered him, you set about trying to persuade health professionals that you were suffering from diminished responsibility. While it's true that you have a severe personality disorder, it's clear that it played no part in what happened that night. He also added that you showed no remorse. In fact, you told this court that you were indifferent to his death. Then, due to the cruel and wicked attack, that was Judge Boyd's words, Melissa was sentenced to 20 years to life for murder in 2014. Understandable. Yeah. So I will say... You know, a lot of times people try to use the insanity plea to get out of prosecution, but they can see through that. Like they are going to have. That don't don't work like that. Yeah. They're going to have psychologists and psychiatrists examine you and determine if you are indeed um, incapable. It's not not just like a Uno reverse card. Yeah, exactly. I wonder what would happen if you just pull that out during your sentencing. Just like judges just like. Five years in prison, you just throw out the Uno reverse card. Does the judge have to go to jail? Not how this works, Kraken. Worth a shot. But our story's not over. So the story isn't over? Oh, no. On June 3rd of 2014, the prison shop at Cortonvale Prison, which is Scotland's only all-female prison, it is also where she is serving her sentence. So the prison shop was open, and after a disagreement over cigarettes, Melissa was asked to return to her cell. What is it? Malicious compliance... Where it's like, fine, I'll do it, but I'll do it my way. So she was approaching other inmates' cells, kind of wandering and dawdling. And the guards asked her once again to return to her cell. You know, she was 
obviously trying to start trouble. She was provoking other inmates and it just it's just easier if she would go to herself. Yes. So at this point, she lunged after Officer Henson, which was one of the guards on duty. She grabbed Henson's ear and her hair and pulled her to the ground. So I don't know if you've ever had longer hair. I know now you wear it in a buzz cut, but... I used to, yes. Yeah. When you have any hair that is grabbable and it gets grabbed, it is not pleasant. Yeah, as one, as I would imagine, yes. Yeah. So she grabs Henson by the ear, by the hair, and pulls her to the ground. They start struggling. She is kicking and punching and attacking the guard and eventually bit the woman on her stomach. They obviously, other guards came, got her off of Officer Henson, got her into her cell. This, it was a little more physical this time. They were actually putting her in her cell instead of asking her to go there. But Officer Henson was taken to the hospital and treated for bleeding and bruising at the wound. So this wasn't just a a little like, you know, when a kitten is playing with you bite. Like this was something that actually like took a chunk out of her. So Melissa was charged with assault and got an additional six months of mandatory time added to her sentence. So the shortest sentence she can possibly serve is 20 years and six months, but she can possibly serve up to life in prison. So that's going to be... And that's not going to help your sentence attacking guard. But that is the end of the story. And it kind of... So I do know it is a horrible thing, but it does kind of make you look at the holidays with a little bit different perspective. And even if you don't like a present or someone you know doesn't like a present that you gave them, that's not what it's about. It's about the thought. It's about sharing. I thought you were about to say if you don't want a present or you don't like a present, accept it anyway because you could get stabbed. And that's the difference between us, Krakow. Yeah. As always, make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at thesquonkandthehag.com. And we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Krakow, you ready? Goodbye. Okay,